featuring the latest advances and current perspectives on an under-discussed but critical aspect of patient care. Welcome to Sexual Medicine and Health on ReachMD XM160. Sexual Medicine and Health is sponsored by Zestra from Sempre Laboratories. Here is your host, Dr. Maureen Willihan. Whether you're a primary care physician, gynecologist, urologist, or even oncologist, we've all had the patient that complains of sexual problems. Or perhaps you weren't hearing it. You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Sexual Medicine and Health. I'm Dr. Maureen Willihan, your host, and with me today is Dr. Stanley Altoff. Dr. Altoff is the Executive Director for the Center for Marital and Sexual Health of South Florida and is on the consulting staff of Good Samaritan Hospital in West Palm Beach, Florida. He is also a voluntary professor at the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine and Professor Emeritus at Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine. He and his two former partners were the 2005 recipients of the prestigious Masters and Johnson's Lifetime Achievement Award. As a skilled clinician and scientist, Dr. Altoff is the author of many original publications and has contributed numerous chapters to leading textbooks in psychiatry, urology, and sex therapy. He is a highly sought-after lecturer and travels extensively both internationally and within the United States to present his research findings. Today we're discussing erectile dysfunction and its impact on the couple. So let's begin by just doing a little overview of erectile dysfunction. What about it? What do we have to know about early signs? And let's go through there. Sure. Well, let's define it for men. Erectile dysfunction is a persistent and recurrent difficulty for men achieving and maintaining erection. So the important words are persistent and recurrent, meaning it happens all the time. It wasn't just a bad Saturday night. And some men have difficulty in achieving the erection. Most of the men can achieve some erection but can't maintain it. So those are the things that go into making up the diagnosis of erectile dysfunction. And men have to have some distress about it. They have to be bothered by the fact that their penis is no longer able to work reliably. Well, aren't all men bothered when they don't have erectile function? Many men are bothered but fail to do anything about it. You have embarrassment, you have humiliation, you have anxiety, and many men suffer in silence, and it's a painful silence. And many of these men, Maureen, are desperate, and therefore they'll watch the after-midnight shows, they'll write in for all these things that you and I know don't work because they're desperate, they're embarrassed and humiliated, and they're not even certain where to go. That is, which doctor do they go to? Do they go to their family doctor? I mean, where is sex treated? That's really the question. Is it treated at the family doctor, at the urologist, at the mental health person, at the gynecologist? Who treats sex? Well, based on just talking to doctors of all specialties, it doesn't seem like anyone really wants to ask, and there are various reasons for that. But I want you to talk to me a little bit more about some of the contributing factors to erectile dysfunction. There are several factors. We can look at this biologically, psychologically, interpersonally, meaning the relationship, and also culturally. So you look at those four issues. So if we look at the biological, the main culprits are diabetes, hypertension, cardiovascular disease. Those are the ones that are going to get the guys. 
And as we get older, us men, we take more medications and have more surgeries. So you look at illnesses, you look at medications, and you look at surgeries. And there are a list of each. For instance, men who undergo radical prostatectomies will have ED for six months to two years thereafter. Men that take medications, like some of the antihypertensive medications, the beta blockers, or they're on some of the psychiatric drugs, like the antidepressants or the antipsychotics, can also cause difficulties. Isn't there evidence that for a younger man who has erectile failure, that it can be an early sign of cardiovascular disease? There was a wonderful study out of Texas done by Thompson that showed that four years after the development of ED, a very high percent of these men, I think four to six years later, had a cardiac event. And so we're thinking of ED as a warning sign. Again, the idea that the heart is pumping blood, but what makes the erection is also blood. And the circulatory system, you know, if you have a plaque or a blockage in one artery, you're going to see it somewhere else as well. So we're very much thinking of the two as related. It's interesting in my patients who have diabetic partners, I can't always convince them of the value of controlling their sugars because it's the right thing to do. But the minute I tell them that it'll affect their erection, all of a sudden I have their full attention. Absolutely. And I do the same. You can do lifestyle factors or what you're talking about. You can control the diabetes, control your hypertension by losing weight, stopping smoking, decreasing your alcohol intake, changing your diet. There are men who recover erectile function by making these simple changes. Again, it sounds simple, but remember, these are habits. They're difficult to change. So let's go on to some of the medications that are involved with erectile failure. Well, again, mainly they're in the classes of the antihypertensives, the beta blockers, the psychiatric medications, the antidepressants like Prozac, Zoloft. Well, Butrin is actually not in that group. But then you look at uh, Effexor, Lexapro, all of them have ED listed, the antipsychotics, Seroquel, the older ones, Haldol, and so on. So if you're just joining us, you're listening to Sexual Medicine and Health on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Maureen Willihan, and I'm speaking with Dr. Stanley Althoff, and we're discussing erectile dysfunction and its impact on the couple. So, Dr. Altoff, in my GYN practice, when I perform a sexual history, the question I usually ask is, once I ask, are you having sex, if the answer is no, no interest or no good partner. No interest means I need to figure out what's going on with her. No good partner means there's something wrong with him. And it is unbelievable how many men of all ages have erectile dysfunction. Some of them discuss it with their partner. Some do not. But more importantly, they all have family physicians, many of them have urologists, yet they never discuss it. So I want to talk about, one, how do we get the patient, besides me trying to motivate them through their partner, how do we get the patient to talk to the doctor, and perhaps more importantly to our doctor audience today, how can we get our doctors to talk to the patient and do a very brief sexual history? Well, let's begin on the patient side. You know and I know that men, us men, we tend to deny when things are wrong with us. No. <laughs> Is that news, <laughs> right? So men, of course, if they have an episode of ED, will say, oh, this will go away. It'll be better tomorrow. 
Or as it continues, which it does sometimes, they begin to feel humiliated, frustrated, and they're ashamed now to go to the doctor. Because in the past, the doctor has never asked them about sexual function, and they're not sure that it's permitted to bring it into the office, even though you hear, have all these conversations. But you remember, there's embarrassment and there's humiliation, and they're not sure that doctor, because he hasn't asked before, will want to hear it. On the doctor's side, he's uncertain if it would feel sleazy to the patient to ask about sexual function, if it would be too intrusive, or if it's worth asking, because the doctors don't know the high percentage of men who suffer from ED, so they think there's no yield, there's no real gain to asking. But you and I know that we need to give patients permission. If you simply ask once, even when they're doing fine, have any sexual problems or worries, the patient knows that he can come back to you and say, remember that question you asked me four or five years ago? And so it's a good thing early on for physicians to do that. But patients need to know that physicians can easily treat this problem and unfortunately, they generally have to be the ones to raise it. You know, you, you mentioned trying to make it seem easy. That is my how I deal with women. And, and when I say, oh, this is a common problem. And of course, we have many things for this problem. Oh, I see this all the time. And the more common you make it, the more willing they are to discuss it. But so many women either comment to me, oh, well, I don't want him to take that little blue pill because he has heart problems or he had a bypass, or he won't ask his doctor for the medication. He can't take it. He's on other meds. But that's just not true in many cases. In 1998, when Viagra was released, there were all these stories, you know, and they were myths. Men were running off, leaving their wives for their <laughs> girlfriends. And, you know, I'm sure that happened in a very small minority of cases, or patient X has a heart attack, which also happened in minority of cases. But everything was blamed on Viagra doing this, that, and the other. Now, the truth is that Viagra was first studied as a cardiac medication. It was an anti-anginal heart pain agent, but it wasn't very good. And the, it was such an interesting story that they couldn't get the medication back from the guys who were in the studies because <laughs> they realized, hey, I'm doing a lot better in a certain area. Yeah. And Pfizer, who makes Viagra, was smart to check with the guys and realize, oh, this had a side effect, a side benefit that we never realized. And that's when they began to look at it for ED. So actually, Viagra produces some small decrease in blood pressure and is probably slightly helpful to men for their cardiac issues. What causes the difficulties, though, Dr. Wheelahan, is that men who exert themselves in sexual activity, who don't have good hearts anyway, they are the ones that have the heart attacks. It's not the Viagra. It's the vigorous activity <laughs> from being sexual. Right. So I think that what we're saying is there are many patients out there suffering from erectile dysfunction that are candidates for the medications and that they shouldn't assume that if they've had a, a bypass or if they have high blood pressure and they're on various blood pressure medications, that that naturally would make them non-candidates. That's not true. Only certain medications are not allowed. Right. The nitrates are the big problem. That is 
medications by and large that have been given to men who have chest pain and that come in several forms which you can help me with. But generally, it's the nitrate medications that are absolutely contraindicated. If you remember the movie with Jack Nicholson, Right. Right. And that's why they ask when men come to the ER, are you taking Viagra Levitra Cialis? Because if you give nitrates to these men in the emergency rooms, their blood pressure will crash. I'd like to thank Dr. Altoff, who's been our guest today. And we've been discussing erectile dysfunction and its effect on the couple. I'm Dr. Maureen Willihan, and you're listening to Sexual Medicine and Health on ReachMD XM160. Please visit our website at reachmd.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts. And you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for listening today. You have been listening to Sexual Medicine and Health on ReachMD XM160, hosted by Dr. Maureen Willihan and sponsored by Zestra from Sempre Laboratories. The preceding program was brought to you by Zestra Essential Arousal Oils from Sempre Laboratories to encourage discussion around the issues of sexual health and well-being. Estimates indicate as many as 43% of your female patients may experience lower feelings of arousal, desire, and ability to orgasm due to a variety of causes, including age, stress, disease, or even some medications. In fact, when asked in quantitative studies, as many as 72% of women said they would like an improved in their sexual satisfaction. As healthcare professionals, you know many of your female patients have difficulty discussing sensitive and personal issues about sexual arousal, desire, and satisfaction. Part of your challenge is finding effective therapy options that are safe and that have limited, if any, drug-drug interactions or serious adverse side effects. Zestra Essential Arousal Oils is a safe, clinically proven solution with a five-year history of successful clinical use by leading sexual health practitioners. Additionally, in two placebo-controlled, peer-reviewed, published studies, Zestra's effect on desire, arousal, and satisfaction was statistically significant versus placebo with 70% of women, regardless of age, life stage, or health situation, experiencing improvement with no adverse events. Zestra is a patented blend of natural botanical oils and extracts that is topically applied to the clitoris and labia. It begins working within three to five minutes, peaks at 10 minutes, and lasts for up to 45 minutes. Most women experience an increased sensitivity to touch, which prompts greater feeling of arousal and improves their overall experience, including enabling longer latency and intensity of orgasm for many. To request free samples for your patients, see the Zestra Clinical Studies, or to download a podcast of this program, please visit ReachMD.com slash SexMed. Again, that's ReachMD.com slash SexMed, and thank you for listening.